Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. So, Kareel will help me out here with the slides. I want to talk to you about deciding before you listen. Deciding before you listen. A lot of people make their decisions on something based on how they feel, right? They don't actually think sometimes. I'll explain to you why my life had so many struggles growing up because I just did what I wanted to do, right? And sometimes it's not that big of a deal, but a lot of times it gets us into trouble. Amen? So what is selective hearing? Selective hearing. Parents, pay attention. Well, listen to what Melissa Karp, who is considered an audiologist, she has learned and studied the, let's say, the art of listening and hearing and helping people to understand why they can comprehend and others cannot. Now, I'm not talking about language barriers. I'm talking about being able to pay attention. Like, how many of you struggled in school to pay attention? <laughs> right? I did. I, because I was so, like, all over the place. And I don't feel like I had certain skills of how to listen and be aware until that developed later in my life after I came to know the Lord. And in fact, it has changed the entire course of my life because I'm able to comprehend what the Lord's will is in all situations. You say, that sounds prideful. No, there's a difference between pride and confidence. And if you know you can hear from God, friend, you can learn how to live in confidence and pride doesn't control you anymore. And I'm going to talk more about that later. Listen to what Melissa Karp said. She said, selective hearing refers to when a person appears to only hear what is important to them. Right? What do you mean? Well, like, okay, if we're talking basketball and your favorite team, let's say, is the Golden State Warriors. Well, if somebody else is talking about the Utah Jazz, you may not engage that conversation as much because you really don't care about that team. But if somebody says Steph Curry or Golden State, you're like, oh, oh, I know, you know, you know every statistic, right? How many percentages of three points that uh, Steph Curry makes and how old he is and what his grandma's name is, you know, details that are just way beyond and above. But that is selective hearing. It's that what we listen to, we, we, 
value based on where our focus is. It has nothing to do with hearing, what is that, acuity? Is that the word? Acuity. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay, gotcha. How, how good it is. Instead, it happens due to the way the brain prioritizes sound. Mm. In children, when too many sound sources bombard the brain, the brain reacts by tuning out what seems less important. So here, instead, it happens due to the way the brain prioritizes. I put in my words or what the brain is trained to hear. This is why parents train up your children and the way they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart. Again, we use this you know, example all the time. If you have this busy road here and some kid's gonna run across the street who's, let's say, five years old, six years old, and go to the Petron across the street, and you're standing there, but you're not holding their hand. They just dart out. Buses and jeepneys and dump trucks are coming by. What happens if you can't grab them? They have to hear your voice. And your voice needs to be the most important voice that your children ever hear. And it doesn't come because you just express authority and beat them into submission. No, it comes because you represent through love, consistency, and discipline, right? Because everybody needs discipline as they grow up because a child left to themselves becomes a headache, right? Children are not designed if you wanted to have the fun of having children, then guess what? You need to take the responsibility to train them because you training that child to hear your voice will teach them one day to hear God's voice. They tune out what they don't want to hear as they get older and older and older, right? It's really amazing how God uses our voices to be able to equip us and where he's leading. Why is it important to raise children who know how to listen to our parents? Well, when children are taught to value their parents' voice, they will learn to listen to God's voice. Our goal as parents is to teach our children to listen, obey the Lord, and eventually give them back to Jesus. Loving, providing, feeding, clothing children without modeling before them how to know Jesus is sin. Ooh. What do you mean? They are not yours. They are temporarily yours. And one day, you need to give them back to Jesus. And if we've been good stewards with our children by listening to the voice of God and obeying scripture, then our children will grow up giving glory to God, not just for this lifetime, but for eternity. 
You say, boy, that sounds harsh. It only sounds harsh because you're trying to parent out of the flesh and not by the spirit. What is the greatest goal? For your kid's stomach to be filled and for them to, uh, you know, have everything that they need or even want and then die and go to hell? Really? Are you thinking that coming to church that you can give your children to the children's ministry workers, to the worship leaders, to the pastors, and they fix your kids for you? My friend, that is not their responsibility. It is primarily your responsibility and your goal in life as a parent must be to shepherd your child's heart and to lead them to knowing the voice of God. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. And listen, if you're like me, my parents didn't know the Lord until I was about 14. And even though they knew the Lord, all of us were learning to grow and mature in God. And so everything wasn't perfect growing up. And even if you are a Christian growing up in a godly family, still everything is not perfect. But here is the fact of the matter. It's that God knows how to fill in the gaps even when we try our best and it doesn't seem to be enough. Listen, I'm not saying parenting and every issue that you need to be anxious about raising your children. I'm saying that if you are walking in peace and know the voice of God for yourself, your kids will not only obey what they hear you saying, but they will do what they see you modeling. Amen. Well, I don't have kids, Eric, so I'm not single. Okay, who's single and wants to get married one day? Okay, who's single and, and is actually reaching out? Okay, we're not doing a wedding today. Okay, just calm down. Take it easy. Okay, if we need to have a small group after. Actually, it might be a large group. I'm not really sure, but we can talk more about that later, okay? But listen, if you're single and you're, you, you, you're not married, all of that, and you want to have children one day, but you're just not in that place, you can be learning and applying these principles to making disciples. Listen, the key to me of making disciples is knowing your heavenly father. Everything flows from that. If we don't understand how and why God designed the family, then the church will cease to exist and be effective. So what is parenting? I'm going to list several things for you. Parenting is keeping the Father and His kingdom the first responsibility of raising children. Amen. Amen. Just said that. Parenting is honoring the Lord's commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Amen. Amen. Isn't that true, brother? Be fruitful and multiply. You guys are doing your part, man. <laughs> Next, modeling how we should live in intimacy with God 
and our neighbors around us. This is what parenting is. I don't think we have a good biblical definition of parenting many times in the church. And when we just see how people react to situations and they don't respond in peace or joy or love and they respond in anger and yelling and they're, you know, they're out of sync. They're not walking in agreement, things like that. That's not good parenting. We need to understand what is good and what is biblical. Not just do enough to get by, but to do it so well that we raise up history makers. We raise up young men and women that are burning with the fire of God at home. And when they come to church, they keep getting more fuel for their fire. And as they go to step out and be used by God and whatever he calls them to do, they are agents of transformation. Parenting is initiating how as sons, husbands, fathers, and grandfathers live for the next generation. Parenting is nurturing how daughters, wives, moms, and grandmas live for the next generation. Parenting is fulfilling the great commission to make disciples of our physical and spiritual children. Parenting is raising godly sons and daughters who will repeat what we put into practice. Parenting is adopting children physically and spiritually who need to know the Father's heart. Parenting is building the church relationally without the limitations of a title. Hear me. I don't care about titles. And I'm not saying that they're completely unimportant. Obviously, if, if I need to go to a dentist, I'm not going to go to a, uh, right, a carpenter or someone uh, who has a totally different title. I'm going to say, tell me a good dentist. And someone says, well, there's this one in, you know, G-Mall. Her name is Doc Ivy. And I recommend that you go there she has a really handsome husband, too, and soon they'll be fruitful and multiply. Okay, let's go on. But the church is supposed to be relational, amen? Yeah. Comes from the home. Yeah. Parenting is presenting to the Lord our crown of responsibility when we stand before Him. In Proverbs... Chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. This is the New King James Version. I got two verses there. It says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head like you get when somebody wins a race, right? They put something on their head or ornament around their neck and a chain about your neck. Proverbs 1, 8-9, again, the amplified classic version says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not reject the teaching, okay, in place of law. It's saying teaching. It means basically the same thing. Of your mother, 
For they are a garland of grace on your head and chains and ornaments of gold around your neck. Listen, children who are not instructed to have a biblical worldview or taught how to have a personal relationship with Jesus will lack God's grace upon their lives and the victory that comes from living confidently. I'm always amazed and love children who will come up and be confident, right? And be respectful and look an adult in the eye and talk to them. It doesn't mean they have to be on the same level of maturity as an adult. But as a parent, when we're teaching our kids how to live and how to treat other people around us, we are actually preparing them to win their race in life. You see, I want my kids, I want your kids, I want spiritual sons and daughters to be champions. And I'm not going to tell them that you will become a champion based on your title and your good works. No, you will be a champion by learning how to be a man or a woman that listens, that learns how to apply. And you might be thinking, well, in my home, I didn't grow up with my mom or my dad around. I didn't grow up in a good situation. They didn't discipline us correctly. They was done out of anger. Whatever the issue is, this is why we need our Father, which is in heaven. Because he is a father to the fatherless. He is the one who knows how to um, inform, instruct, and nurture, and help you to mature as a man or woman of God. So each one of us are without an excuse. If you choose to play the victim mentality, the fact of the matter is, you are going to miss the opportunity that God has in front of you to help you inherit the legacy that he laid down for you on the cross. The provision, the fullness of Jesus Christ, all of what the Lord paid a price for is not just to forgive your sin, but it's to empower you to live a life that, that communicates to the entire world that I am changed, and because Jesus lives in me, I am powerful, I have revelation, I have an anointing, I have grace upon my life to make a difference in my generation. I'm telling you, God is looking for Daniels at this moment. God is looking for young men and women that will walk in intimacy and not in intimidation. People who do not look around at wars and rumors of war and say, oh, I wish Jesus would come right now. But people who will stand up like Daniel did in Babylon and say, I'm sorry, I cannot submit to your false gods. I can't eat that food. I can't kneel down. I got to stand because greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. Friend, if Daniel knew that without the covenant that we have in the New Testament, how much more should you and I be ambassadors for Jesus Christ? The difference between pride and confidence. Pride says, I don't need God, and there is nothing else besides 
myself. Listen. Listen to me. Children don't have pride without help. It's not an accident they become prideful. It's part of their nature as a nature of sin. But if parents do not teach them how to walk in humility, then if that child grows up in pride, guess what? That's on you and me. And But wait a minute, that sounds a little bit harsh. Well, who's the mom or dad? Well, my mom or dad didn't accept responsibility, and that's why I struggled. Okay, maybe it did, but it's not an excuse to get healed and restored. Confidence says, since God is in my life, I know he will never leave me or forsake me. Look, I don't know what type of upbringing that you had or what kind of pain you may carry, but it's time to restore those ungodly thoughts with godly thoughts. It's time to not be motivated by your past, but be pursuing what the Word of God says is available to you and I, and to not make excuses or say that God will only use certain people because they have more money or status or opportunity. Friend, the opportunity of a lifetime, Leonard Ravenhill said, must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. That means that your opportunity is now. And the only one who's going to be able to go for it is you. Nobody else can do that for you. You have to embrace the grace of God. You have to be willing to grow and mature and learn of the Lord. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. There is clarity. There is peace. There is consistent joy. There is absolute victory that the church should be walking in so that when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come back for a weak and anemic bride, but one that is strong and powerful and bold and courageous that's made themselves ready. What happens if children are raised prideful and not confidently? Well, they live life of being impulsive. You know, for years in my own life, there were values. Everybody has a set of values growing up. Some of those values are based on the Word of God. Maybe some of those values are based on the world standards or ungodly standards set by those who are around us, parents, family, friends, School. Hey, let me tell you something. Don't just send your kids to school blindly. Be responsible for their school. I'm not telling you how to school your kids. I'm saying if you got someone who is living as a homosexual and they're a teacher and they're teaching your kids and they're spending hours a day with your kids, don't be surprised if one day your kid comes back and says, I don't feel like a boy anymore. I, you, you, maybe that isn't as much of a problem, I guess, in the Philippines. I'm going to tell you, it's massive in America. And America right now has people pouring into its children that all this liberal ideology and over and over and over again, kids are committing suicide. People are depressed. There's no value for marriage. Very little. There's divorce everywhere. People have 
multiple partners. People literally ask each other on the street, hey, what's your body count? You know what that means? That means how many people have you slept with in your life? And then the person gleefully says, oh, 20, 30 people. I've seen people say hundreds of people. Friend, that's not something that we should be proud of. Where is our shame? Where is our guilt? You know what? It's still there, but you, can't su- you can suppress it long enough to where you don't listen to it anymore and you, and you don't even hear the voice of God anymore because your heart grows so hard. I want to tell you, it is possible for God to open up your conscience once again and to heal you and to say, I did not make you to be a prostitute. I did not make you to be addicted to pornography. I did not make you to be a slave of fear to other people. I did not make you to be a slave of your past. You are my son. You are my daughter. Hear my voice and I'll change everything. You know, in my life, because I was all about Eric... Oftentimes, the decisions that I made were determined by how I felt, right? In the moment. If I felt like doing something, it was great. If somebody asked me to do something, I didn't feel like doing it, whether it be my parents, teachers, or other authorities in my life. I remember when I was in sixth grade, okay? I went to multiple schools when I was younger after my parents' divorce and just moving around and eventually getting settled uh, with my mom and my stepfather. But when I was in sixth grade, my friend, I remember my teacher telling me to do something and I told her to go F off. Sixth grade. That's how I talked. And then I would go to the principal's office and I would say even worse things to them. And then I would get in trouble. I would be in detention or something like that. And I, I didn't have a respect for authority. And to me, it was funny at the time. I looked cool to my friends because I defied the authority. But you know what that did eventually in my life? I was unwilling to listen when God was trying to use some people to speak into my life. I was not teachable. When I went to the Brownsville Revival, God dealt with this immediately. He said, I want you to go to this school and move down here, and I want you to be teachable. Well, I want to tell you, God doesn't forget, and God will not cut corners. He will go way back to the foundation, to the beginning, and he will break it up with his word. as like a, a hammer breaking the old sinful nature of rock to pieces. And then he knew after he broke that up that he laid a solid foundation in my life. And I didn't see it all happen right away. Friend, it took decades. You say, I don't want to hear that. I I want McDonald's Christianity, right? I want McDonald's maturity. Friend, that stuff's not healthy for you. This type of thinking got me into a lot of trouble. So what does it mean to live life impulsively? Well, impulsive people are wandering, aimless people. 
vagabonds. They don't know why they believe what they believe. Impulsive people elevate their feelings above facts and truth. Impulsive people devalue others according to their standards. I'm saying this is what happens to children at a young age, is that if we don't train them and equip them to hear the voice of God, they will learn by paying attention to how they feel and their impulsive nature. Impulsive people devalue others according to their standards. Impulsive people spend time and money without stewardship. Impulsive people judge others without judging themselves. Impulsive people dishonor this, those in authority. Impulsive people carry pain but show off as being strong. Impulsive people live in fantasy without facing reality. Impulsive people make excuses to not be responsible and impulsive people worry about today and do not plan for tomorrow. You know, I was watching Pastor Armin's four square picture, you know, right there. And I'm thinking, what if God has been speaking through Pastor Armin the last, let's say, couple years or more about these things to us so clearly because there would be a famine up ahead? Could God be raising him up to be some type of a Joseph in our generation? Should we pay attention to these things? From we're not a cult where we're saying, if you don't have a farm, you can't be a part of this church anymore. <laughs> what we're saying is there are principles. And I love what Josh's wife, where you are? Yanni said before that... There's a lot going on this week, but we're being fed body, soul, and spirit. Friend, God is concerned about your entire being. But you know how he changes from the beginning? He speaks to your heart. He changes your mind. And out of your mind come, comes the truth and the realities and clarity on how to live life. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Right? Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Sure, I'll pray the prayer. Sure, I'll give money in church. But you don't know why you're doing it. You're doing it by impulse. Can I encourage you never to give through impulse? What? We thought you churches asked for money all the time. Yeah, we do because we have purpose for it. But we want, if you want to be a giver that's blessed, become a good steward first. It's true. I don't know if you know these nuggets that I'm giving you today are probably more valuable than anything you own. I'm not saying that because I'm saying it because I've heard Pastor Armin and Libot and Buddy and different ones say these things as well. But see, how much do you value God's word? People say, well, why did God have to give us his written word? Couldn't he just give us, you know, a downloaded video that we could play or something and see it all? You know why? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. It is so important for you and I to listen 
to tune our understanding into saying, God, help me to understand and hear your voice. You know, in societies and cultures around the world, cancel culture is the outcome, listen, is the outcome of those who live impulsive lifestyles. Did you hear that? Cancel culture is the outcome of people who live impulsively. I love the Bible character Nicodemus. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. He was a Pharisee who had a great encounter with Jesus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Not the ruler, but a ruler. A leader, a godly man. An elderly man that people looked up to. And... You know, while some religious leaders canceled Jesus because of the fear of what other people thought about Jesus, Nicodemus chose to listen to Jesus before he would decide what to think about Jesus. Let me get into this. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Now, a lot of people give Nicodemus flack. They say, why wouldn't he just be bold and come to Jesus during the day? Well, let me encourage you something. If you go to India and you have these radical Hindus that are cutting themselves and piercing themselves and doing all kinds of things like that. And you think, well, why isn't, you know, honey going into a, into a Hindu temple with Pauline and they just start preaching the gospel to those Hindus? Well, because they will die. Well, aren't we, should we be willing to die? Yes. You can tell me that when you wake up in the morning and learn how to spend a disciplined time with Jesus. Don't talk to me about being a martyr for the faith if you can't live for Jesus. And especially if you've never gone to another country to experience another culture and the challenges and the spiritual atmosphere. Look, I do know people. Actually, Mike Bailey and I, I think I've told you this story before. When we first moved to the Philippines, and I would not recommend doing this, we were full of zeal and not much wisdom at the time. We were invited to go to Cebu and to share at a youth conference. And the past, several pastors said, we want to take you into town and see the oldest Catholic church in Cebu. And you can see where the Santo Nino is and all these things. And, you know, we could pray and all that stuff. And I said, sure. Well, we went there and we went in the church and I saw a mama taking her baby's hand and laying it on the black Nazarene cursing people. I said, that's not the gospel. So that bothered me a little bit. How many of you remember when Paul got a little bit annoyed and turned around and cast out a demon? And because he did that, he got thrown in jail, right? Sometimes Christians need to walk with God so closely that we get annoyed. <laughs> and so I and Mike decided, you know, in the front of the old Catholic church there in uh, Cebu, 
We saw Magellan's cross where Magellan was killed and the cross he carried and all that stuff. Well, we're in there and I saw all these, there's probably 50 idols in the front of the church. Now I'm struggling with this as an evangelist because they're telling me, shh, you got to be quiet, okay? And I think we're in probably one of the strongholds here in the Philippines. So it only makes sense to start preaching. So Mike and I start preaching. And <laughs> they tell us, sir, you, you can't do that. And we go, okay. You can go pray in the candlelight area. So all the candles and stuff are set up. So I said, okay, well, if we could pray out loud, we can preach pray out loud. So we did with our eyes closed. Lord, we just thank you that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby they must be saved. The name of Jesus. It's not the name of Santo Nino. It's not the name. Uh, you know, we're going on and on and on. And wham, wham, wham. And the police, is, he doesn't know what to do because we're, our eyes are closed and we're not looking at him. And he's like, uh, sir, sir, sir. You know, Filipinos are so respectful. And, and look, it was probably not the best respect that we should have had as well, okay? But we were pretty stirred up. And so we did that, and then they kind of encouraged us, you know, to go outside. So we go outside across from the entrance of the church, and there's this uh, sidewalk area where people are going, and the big Santo Nino's across the street, and we stand up on this, you know, this whatever you call a bench or whatever. I'm over here. Mike's over here. We're preaching. We're gathering. Hey, Rob. There's a crowd that's gathering and stuff like that. And, and we look at the front of the church and there's several priests looking out the window like, what is going on outside? And we're preaching to people. I mean, I mean, we are so stirred up at this moment. And then we stop. All the pastors who were with us, they all left us. They're like, you guys are white. You know, they won't come after you like they're going to come after us. So we, we get, we go walking down that path to where the jeepneys were. We get in the back in a jeep. We have no idea where we're going. And we just get in a jeep and we're sitting in the back and we see as we're driving away all these police. I mean, there were probably... 10, 15 police officers that were coming around looking for these crazy white guys. So. so that's why we feel called to devour. Praise God, you know. But don't blame someone like Nicodemus for going by night to talk to Jesus. You know why? Because he was trying to decide what it is that he believed, not based on what everybody said he should believe. Verse 3, Jesus answered him and said, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is probably one of the most famous conversations, passages of the Bible. Of course, we'll get to John 3, 16, right? Probably the most famous verse from the Bible. But he sees a hunger in Nicodemus. I want to encourage today, my friend, if you came here saying, God, I need you to speak to me, he knows what's in your heart. And if you're teachable and you're hungry, he will, he, and you're willing to listen, he will speak into your life and help guide you to where he wants to take you. 
Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is an older man. He's not just saying that as a joke. He's saying, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. And let me tell you, if you don't understand everything, God is not intimidated by that. Because God sees the heart. Unless Jesus answered, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he's clarifying to Nicodemus seeking heart. See, a seeking heart is a listening heart. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows. I think when Jesus, this is the Eric Miller version, okay? I think when Jesus said this, he could see the hunger in Nicodemus. And he smiled and he said, the wind blows wherever it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everybody born of the Spirit. Listen, do you understand that the breath that was coming out of Jesus' mouth is the breath, the Ruach of God? It was the very breath that created the heavens and the earth. That breath was coming to a seeking heart. A heart that was willing to listen. That said, I don't understand everything. I am a Pharisee. I'm a ruler. And, and even though nobody else wants what you have, there's something about you that I see in you that I've got to have from you. Nicodemus answered him and said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said, are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? Most surely I say to you, we speak of what we know and what we testify. We have seen and you do not receive our witness. He's talking about the Jews. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He's probably thinking, okay, you're a Pharisee, you value the temple, you go do all your prayers and responsibilities, but do you not realize that the temple is only a shadow of the real that's in heaven? You've never been there, but one from heaven is talking to you right now. And I am the one who sits on that throne, but I can't just come out and tell you that because I want to use your faith so that as you engage me, I reveal myself to you and through you. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. Now he's talking about himself, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about the type of death he's going to die. Right? Jesus would die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin of everyone that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life oh that's good that's good news my friend I don't know if that's good news for you but it is for me I needed a savior 
I needed somebody to save me from myself. I needed somebody to save me from my idolatrous lifestyle before knowing Jesus. I needed to save me, to, to help me to know that I was loved, that I was cared about. And, and I'm not saying that my parents didn't show me that they loved me. I'm simply saying, friend, sin corrupts our thinking. And it destroys our peace. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes, Nicodemus, Nicodemus who came to me at nighttime, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only name in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The only begotten Son. You know where I'm going with this? There's only one begotten Son. His name's Jesus. Not Kibaloi. Not anybody else. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He's trying to explain to Nicodemus' understanding of why you have this hunger. There's something in you that is drawing you to me. And, and you are willing to put your you know, reputation on the line. You are willing to put all of your experience, knowledge on the line because you've seen me do things that no other man could do. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. In closing, you know, in John 3 verse 2, when Nicodemus asked about what it meant to be born again, Scripture clearly says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. In John 7, 50, I'm not going to read the verse, it says other religious leaders condemned Jesus without listening or thinking through what he was saying. In this verse, again, it highlights that Nicodemus listened. He was the one who came to Jesus at night. And finally, in John 19, 39, Again, it says that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, even prepared Jesus' body for burial. Do you know what that means to show up at the crucifixion? The other Pharisees were all saying, crucify him. I don't think Nicodemus said that. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he had a listening heart. And he was probably so disturbed at the cancel culture. The ones who were so impulsively killing a good man. A man who healed the sick, cast out demons and raised the dead. Who fed the thousands. Who expressed kindness to the poor. Why would you kill him? Well, he's proclaiming to be the Messiah. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he's doing all these things that nobody else can do to show us that he's the Messiah. Maybe the Messiah is not going to come and deliver us from Rome right away. Maybe the Messiah is trying to deliver us from the nature of sin. 
And if we could be free from the nature of sin, and I think I remember something about Jesus being born again. What does that mean? Oh, he died. Three days later, he rises up, and, and word goes throughout the city, and Nicodemus says, what, 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 what do you mean? He's not in the tomb anymore? What happened? He risen? Wait a minute. The, that woman saw him raised from the dead? The disciples have seen him? Wait a minute. This is unlike anything I've ever heard before. What is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Maybe I can be born again now. Maybe it means what Jesus was saying, that after he rose from the dead, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and I could be free for eternity. Could you imagine what these Jewish leaders who had revelation and who were listening, how they felt in the moment of understanding? Oh, my Lord and my God. Could you imagine how Thomas felt? Lord, I'm not sure if I can believe this. I'm really struggling. He said, Thomas, look at the hole in my hand. Put your finger in it. Frank, Jesus not only wants you to just believe by faith like something you can't see. He wants you to have something internally that is so real it changes the focus of your life from living an impulsive life. From living a life of complaining and arguing and, and saying, I didn't have the opportunity of somebody else. You know what God is looking for? He's looking for men and women who will be convinced that being born again is not a religion to join, but it's something that happens in your life. Some people might think that Nicodemus was a coward coming to Jesus at night, but to the contrary. Nicodemus did not want the impulsive cancel culture of the Pharisees to choke out the conviction he felt whenever he heard Jesus speak or work miracles. Let me ask you, if the crowd or culture around you determines who Jesus is to you, then you may need to learn from the beginning how to abide in Jesus. If your faith is based on what your neighbor says and thinks, or the feeling, the warm, fuzzy feelings you have when the worship team is singing your favorite song, friend, it's deeper than that. What's going to cause a man or a woman to lay their life down for the gospel? What's going to cause someone like Bill Hyde, who gave his life as a missionary and was martyred at the, the old Davao City Airport in March 2003 because a bomb was placed behind him and killed not only him, but at least 20-something else people, injured well over 100 people. Friend, I want to tell you, what causes a people to go to the other side of the world and, and far from their families and what's normal to them? Listen, I want to encourage you. I don't care if you go overseas or not. That's not the point. It's what motivates you in your life. Don't be intimidated by what's happening around you. The king of the universe lives in you. You can hear. God might raise you up with a revelation and an encounter that would impact this entire city.
Let me finish with this verse and then we'll pray. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Boy, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> How can you be exalted through my life by me being still? Well, if you listen to me, I'll have you do things that you wouldn't find out on your own. If you would stop saying that I know God's voice only when Pastor Armin speaks to me or your prayer leader or your cell leader or whatever have you. You know, the, God wants you to hear. He, you have ears to hear. You do. Jeff, you got a calling on your life, bro. You really do. And I've seen tremendous change in your life. I really feel like there's a lot that God has worked through you and, and your marriage and your son. I'm not saying everything's perfect. We're never going to be perfect. Friend, friend, don't wait to be perfect for Jesus to use you. You'll be waiting a very long time. But when the bus comes by and the door opens, get on. He's making you into an incredible husband and father. He is. He is. You men of God in this room, if you don't become anything that anybody knows you to be some famous something, but you become a well-known husband, son, husband, father, I'm going to tell you, you gave glory to God. Because cancel culture says fathers aren't important anymore. I'm here to tell you they're extremely important. Mothers, extremely important. Women of God, you single folks, I want you to hear the voice of God say, walk in purity. Don't give up your purity for anybody else. Don't give yourself away. Don't date everything that moves. <laughs> give yourself to Jesus. He has somebody for you. He does. He does. He knows you better than your mama knows you. You parents raising kids, listen, don't think that nobody else understands what you're going through. <laughs> they wake up in the middle of the night. I got to change diapers. They got to feed them. They throw up on me all the time. I want to tell you one day, that son or daughter who's gonna, who should be your greatest disciple is going to do the things that you teach them to do. Listen, if you weren't taught that growing up, teach your kids how to do it. Change the course of your family history and destiny. There's no reason that you should carry on curses from the past when they could be broken by the blood of Jesus and you can declare over your family the blessing of the Lord. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you 
next week. 